in the TV programme, Who Do You Think You Are? We're invited to watch as a celebrity goes on a journey to trace their ancestry, discovering secrets and surprises from their past. Now, genealogy research uh, may not sound that interesting, but this programme is actually now in its 16th year on the BBC and has been adapted in over 15 different countries, including the US, Canada, Poland and also Ireland. Now, a large part of the appeal of this programme, I think it seems to be how the research often overturns our expectations of not just the audience, but also the celebrity themselves. So, for example, in Ireland, newspaper or news reporter Charlie Bird, he found out that his great-great-grandfather had served under Admiral Nelson in the Battle of the Nile. And Ryan Turbity discovered that he was a descendant of the English king, Edward III. But the creators of this TV programme, they weren't the first to ask the question, who do you think you are? It's actually in the Bible. In John chapter 8, the question was asked of Jesus by those who were listening to him. And when they got the answer to this question, they were even more surprised and shocked than anyone on that TV show. So we're going to read from John chapter 8. And just at the end of this this chapter, I know it's taking a a few weeks to get through this chapter. It's quite a long chapter and lots lots in it. But this is just the last little section from verse 48 down to verse 59. The Jews answered him, that's Jesus, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan? And demon possessed. I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus. But I honour my father and you dishonour me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it. And he is the judge. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. 
As we've seen over the past few times we've been in John's Gospel, Jesus was speaking to the crowds in the temple at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. So we've seen how he declared himself to be the light of the world. But most of the people couldn't understand or accept what he was saying. Then we saw how Jesus offered them real freedom from slavery to sin. And yet most of them were just offended at the suggestion that they needed to be set free. And then last week we saw how Jesus declared that their refusal to listen and to love him revealed that instead of being a child of God, they actually belonged to Satan. But still, the majority of the people there that day who were listening to Jesus refused to repent. Instead of turning away from their wrong attitudes, instead they pushed further into their rejection of Jesus. And they did what many people do when they're confronted by an uncomfortable truth. They resorted to insults. So first of all, they accused Jesus of being a Samaritan. Aren't you right in saying that, we, that you are a Samaritan? Now we've talked about this before in the, in the Gospel of John. How most Jews despise the Samaritans for, uh, for political, for racial and for religious reasons. The Samaritans, they trans, uh, trace their ancestry back to Israel. But they'd been politically separate from the rest of the people of Israel since Solomon's death, about a thousand years before Jesus' birth. That was when Israel was divided into the northern and the southern kingdoms. And then when that northern kingdom was overrun by the Assyrians, foreigners came in and intermarried with those people so that they were a mixed race. And then to make matters worse, They built their own temple and incorporated other ideas into their religious beliefs. So Jews saw the Samaritans as their enemies, as an impure race with an impure faith. So when they called Jesus a Samaritan, they weren't really talking about his uh, genealogy. Instead they were using this racial slur as a term of abuse. According to them, they were accusing Jesus of both being an enemy of the nation and a religious heretic. But that wasn't all. I'm sure you noticed that they accused Jesus of being demon-possessed as well. People who are demon-possessed are under the control of evil. They're not in their right minds. They're unable to control their actions or their words. And this was a repeated accusation against Jesus because it meant that Jesus and all of his teaching could just be dismissed. Because he was crazy. He was unclean. He was evil. So later in John's Gospel, in John chapter 10, many people said about Jesus, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? It was just a way that they could just dismiss him and reject his teaching. And I think it's really important for us to see these people rejecting Jesus and ridiculing him in this way. Because if we declare our faith in Jesus today, if we follow him, if we share his teaching with others, then this is probably going to happen to us as well. 
This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, which is another name for the devil, how much more the members of his household. So like they did here with Jesus, people might start by asking us questions, start by engaging in dialogue, But sooner or later, some people will feel so uncomfortable, so challenged by what we say, that they're just going to try and dismiss it by resorting to insults and abuse. And if you actually listen to what people say today, that's often the way it goes. So how should we respond when people do that? Well, Jesus didn't just retaliate with insults of his own here. Neither did he cower away in fear or defeat. Instead, he directly rejected their accusation. I am not possessed by a demon, he said. And then he courageously again asserted the truth. In this case, it was the truth of not just what he was doing, but also what he can give. Look at verse 49. The Jews accused Jesus of doing evil because he was possessed by evil. But Jesus said, I honour my Father and you dishonour me. Jesus was not under the influence of demonic forces because his motivation and drive was not evil. Instead he was driven by the exact opposite desire. The greatest of all desires. The highest of all desires. He was passionately seeking to serve and honour God. To glorify His name. And so he was the exact opposite of Satan. Since his fall, Satan's motivation is always to seek his own honour. Honour for himself that it doesn't belong to him. So Isaiah writes about this in Isaiah chapter 14. It said that Satan said in his heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountains, I will ascend to the tops of the clouds, I will make myself like the Most High. That's Satan's attitude. He's all about self-promotion. All about grabbing the glory and the honour for himself. It's the spirit of our age as well, isn't it? When so many people are seeking to promote themselves. But Jesus was the exact opposite. Even when he was dishonoured by this crowd, even when he was insulted and abused, even when this crowd failed to give him the glory that actually he deserved, Jesus said, I'm not seeking glory for myself. But there's someone... There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. So instead of trying to grab glory, as Satan did, Jesus placed his reputation in his Father's hands. He believed that as the perfect judge, the Father would one day sort all of this out. The Father would one day vindicate him and bring him the glory he deserved. 
And that's really helpful for us to see because actually that's the example that God wants us to follow. Peter told us that that we should follow this example when we are similarly ridiculed or rejected or attacked unfairly. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So instead of fighting his own corner, instead of standing up for himself and and attacking those who are attacking him, Jesus entrusted himself to his father. For his father, as the ultimate judge, to to deal with this in his time. And Peter said that we should follow in his footsteps. So when you're ridiculed, when you're attacked, when you're rejected for being a follower of Jesus, you don't need to stand up for ourselves. We don't need to fight a corner. We don't need to hurl insults back at those people. Instead, we can just trust that God, God will sort it out one day. God will vindicate his children. God will judge justly. But Jesus didn't just assert again what he was doing. He also asserted what he can give. Verse 51, this amazing uh, offer. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. This is an amazing offer of the gospel. That the, the John emphasizes again and again in his gospel. So John chapter 5, 24. Remember we looked at this verse a few months ago. Whoever hears my word, and believes him who sent me, has eternal life, and will not be condemned, because he's crossed over from death to life. And it's the truth that we need to keep on offering to this world. No matter what people think of us, or say to us, we need to keep on declaring that God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's an amazing good news. And I often think that we as Christians should get a little bit more excited about it than we do. Don't you? Don't you think that good news should make us jump up and down nearly as much as if Liverpool scored a winning goal in the Champions League. Matthew? (laughs) We should jump up and down at that wonderful reality. It's the offer of eternal life through faith in Jesus. And we need to keep on sharing this gospel. Even if people Don't change their minds. Jesus' assertion of what he was doing and what he can give here didn't lead this crowd to repent of their actions. Didn't say, oh sorry, I really got it wrong. And repent. Instead they just repeated the insult. Now we know that you're demon possessed. They said. It was because they couldn't get their head around the reality of the implication of what Jesus said. 
For the last previous 2,000 years since Abraham onwards, God had raised up amazing people, prophets from that nation, to speak God's truth, God's word, word powerfully. They were from all different walks of life. And they ministered in different circumstances and in different ways. But there was something that was common to each of these amazing prophets. They all died. Abraham died. And so did the prophets. But here, Jesus was claiming to do something, to be able to do something that none of them could do. He said that if anyone keeps his word, he will never truly die. And so their incredulous question was this. Are you greater than our father Abraham? Who do you think you are? If Jesus was claiming to be able to do something that nobody else could do, then he was claiming to be someone greater than everybody else was. And that is the claim of the Bible. So the woman at the well asked Jesus, are you greater than our father Jacob? And his answer was yes. The book of Hebrews stated that Jesus has been found found worthy of greater honour than Moses. Jesus also said about himself, one greater than the temple is here. In Matthew chapter 12. And then in Luke chapter 11 he said, one greater than Solomon is here. And then later he said, one greater than Jonah is here. To the Jews, this claim was ridiculous. Because these men were great men of God. They'd done amazing things for God. Speaking the truth so powerfully for God. So how could Jesus claim to be greater than them? And I think this claim is still as ridiculous in many people's ears today. You know, there's lots of people who are very willing to accept Jesus as a good man. Or as a great teacher. Or as a powerful example for us to follow. One of the many spiritual teachers that this world has seen. Lots of even religions would accept that. Islam, for example, would accept that. But they believe that it's incredibly arrogant, narrow-minded, intolerant to suggest that Jesus is greater than every other teacher who's ever walked this planet. It's the exclusive claims of Jesus that goes against the mindset of this world today, more than anything else. So the question is, who did Jesus think he was in claiming to be greater than Abraham and all of the other prophets? Who do you think you are? They asked. Well, look at Jesus' response. Verse 55. Jesus said, though you do not know him, that's God, I know him. These Jews, you keep on reminding yourselves, these Jews were students of the scriptures. They knew a lot about God through their studying of the Bible, through their history, 
through all the religious ceremonies and rituals that they would have gone through. But they didn't know God personally. They didn't have a personal relationship with God. So Jesus said, you do not know him. You know lots about God, but you don't know him. But Jesus said that he did. He claimed that he was unique in the intimacy of his relationship with God. And that's because he was unique in his, in his identity as God. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Now remember, Abraham lived about 2,000 years before Jesus was born. So the, difference, the, the distance between Jesus and Abraham is the same as the distance between us and Jesus' birth, roughly. And yet Jesus said that in some way, Abraham not only looked forward to Jesus' day, but he also rejoiced at the thought of it and saw it and was glad. How is that? Well, God had promised not only to bless Abraham and make him into a great nation, but he also promised to in some way make him a blessing to all of the nations of the world. The end of this promise given in Genesis chapter 12 says, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That was a promise to Abraham. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It was a promise to Abraham that through him salvation would come to this whole world. Now, we don't know how much of this Abraham really understood. But he certainly saw the start of this promise being fulfilled when his son Isaac was born in answer to this promise. But the Jews listening to Jesus that day, they couldn't understand how Abraham could have looked forward and seen Jesus' day. And they couldn't understand how Jesus could have seen any of this. Because he wasn't around in Abraham's day. It was another 2,000 years before he was going to be born. You're not yet 50 years old, he said. And you've seen Abraham? But in response, Jesus made a remarkable claim. He said, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, we've seen that before, haven't we? That I am is a title of deity. At the burning bush, when Moses asked God his name, Moses said, well, I can't go to Egypt and not know your name, so what, who am I going to say has told me? God replied, I am who I am. This is what you, what you have to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. It's the name Yahweh. He is the I am, the self-existent one, the eternal, the never-changing one. And this is who Jesus is claiming to be. This is his answer to who do you think you are? He says, I'm not just fully human. I'm also fully God. I am the great I am. 
I'm your creator, God. Now, the Jews who were there that day listening to Jesus understood what Jesus was saying. They understood his claim. But they couldn't, they they wouldn't accept it. So verse 59 says, At this they picked up stones to stone him. In their minds, Jesus was guilty of blasphemy. He was falsely claiming to be God. So he deserved to die. In anger, they picked up those stones to kill him. And they would have killed him, apart from the, the right time hadn't come for Jesus yet. So Jesus hid himself. And he slipped away from the temple grounds. But John, John wrote his gospel to give us the evidence so that we would come to a different conclusion in this crowd. This crowd heard Jesus claim, who do you think you are? The I am. And they rejected him. As many people do today. Lots of religions do that. Even lots of people who claim to be part of the, the Christianity umbrella, they, they reject that. But John wrote that we would have a different conclusion. So he says, he wrote this gospel so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. So, John's purpose is that as we read his gospel, John wants us to see what Jesus said and what he did. The truth of his teaching, the gentleness of his words, the courage in the face of ridicule and rejection and abuse, his compassion in reaching out to hurting people, his power expressed in miraculous signs, his love expressed in his sacrificial death, his victory revealed in his glorious resurrection. And he wants us to see all of that and to conclude that Jesus is greater than Abraham. That Jesus is greater than Moses. That Jesus is greater than Solomon. That Jesus is greater than Jonah. That Jesus is greater than any other prophet or teacher or leader. John wants us to do what Thomas did when he saw Jesus' hands and his feet. He said to him, My Lord and my God. That's because if this is who Jesus truly is, then this is who we need to allow him to be in our lives. If this is who Jesus really is, it doesn't make any sense at all have Jesus as a hobby or to have Jesus in our life one day a week or to have him as a a friend that we turn to when we're in trouble but we forget about when everything is going well that doesn't make sense at all on the Mount of Transfiguration Jesus' appearance was changed and his glory was revealed And then Moses and Elijah appeared with him. But when Peter suggested building three shelters, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus, God spoke to them saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. 
And at that moment, Moses and Elijah disappeared and there was only Jesus there. Moses and Elijah, they were amazing prophets of God. Probably the most amazing prophets in the Old Testament in terms of what they were able, what they were, what they saw God do through their lives. The miracles associated with Moses and Elijah probably outweigh everybody else's. God spoke powerfully through them in their generation, and we can still learn so much from their ministry and through their, and from their lives today. But we're not here to follow Moses. We're not here to follow Elijah. We're not here to follow any other prophet, any other apostle, any other religious leader, any other preacher or pastor or anybody else. We're here to listen to and learn from and trust in and follow and love and worship Jesus. Because he is God's son. He is God's anointed one. He is God's final word to this world. He is the fullness of God's revelation. And he is the one and only way of salvation. So he deserves to be nothing less than our Lord. In our God. So this is who Jesus thinks he is. None other than the Son of God. The Sovereign Lord. The Saviour of the world. But who do you think he is? Do you agree? I pray that each one of us will agree with this truth. And that we will accept him into our lives as the Lord of all.